This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. We're going to start today with John chapter 6, verse 1, and here's what it says. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing on the sick. So Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, verse four, the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him for he himself knew what he was gonna do. Philip answered him, verse 7, 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough for each of them to have a little. Say a little. A little. little. Verse 8. So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves, say five, and two fish, say two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Verse 14, and when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, surely this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, when I set out to prepare for this message this weekend, I wasn't entirely sure which direction the Lord was going to have me take with this text. You know, one of the interesting and unique things of preaching verse by verse is that the the text sort of determines your message. And I know that within uh, the West, and particularly within a lot of American churches, it's become less and less popular to approach the Word of God that way. And a lot of times the temptation is for us to preach what we want to preach, to take what we want to say and import it into the text, right? Or to find texts that back up what we want to say. But preaching verse by verse has really disciplined me in that it's led me in this journey of engaging God's word one verse at a time, one story at a time, one footstep at a time. And as I was praying this week and as I was preparing my heart for this message and for perhaps the direction I would go with it, I was driving all throughout the city. I was spending a little time, as I often do, in my mobile office. That would be my truck. And I was driving all over downtown, and I was on the freeway, and I was on the west side, and I was on the east side, and I went up to the north, and I even went down all the way to Pleasant Grove in the south. And it was awesome. But as I was driving, and as I was, was with and around people, I began to notice the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that call this place home, that call Salt Lake City and this valley and this region home. 
And how many of you guys know that there have been multitudes or thousands of people that have gathered here even over the last few years? And even more, their forecasting are on the way. How many of you guys ready for this place to really start, start pumping with, with people? I mean, if you didn't think it was crowded enough, it's about to, to get even more crowded, right? Millions are on their way, which is pretty amazing to think about it. And as I began to think about that, as I began to kind of mull that over in my spirit, I felt like the Lord asked me a very simple question. I felt like this was the impression of the Lord in my heart. He said to me, Jason, how are we going to meet all the physical and spiritual needs of all these people? How are we going to meet all the needs of all these people that are here and that are coming? And I, I paused for a moment. And I said, well, what do you mean we? <laughs> you sure about that, God? Are you, are you suggesting that I have a, a role to play in what you want to do here in Salt Lake City? Are you suggesting that our church, Courageous Church, has a, a role to play in what you want to do here in Salt Lake City? Precisely. And in praying about what this could look like and dreaming about what this could look like for our church, for our, our small, little, beautiful, faithful church, God had me reread this story. He had me go to this gospel and it became crystal clear to me what the Lord wants to say to you and to me today. Going back to John chapter six, we see Jesus begin here by first challenging his disciples' perception of who they thought God was up until this point and, and who they thought Messiah, Jesus, the Christ was. And, and he was challenging and wanting to challenge their perception of what they thought or believed God could even do. We see it specifically here in verse five. Jesus starts by challenging and pushing back against Philip's perception of how he saw both the people that had shown up and Jesus. And here's what it says. I want to read it. Verse five, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd, say a large crowd, a large crowd was coming. Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread? In other words, Philip, what are you and I going to do about this? He says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? First off, where's Jesus? He's on a mountain. We know this from, from verse three. Jesus is on a mountain. And who is Jesus with? Jesus is with his disciples, his students, his apprentices. He's gathered them all to himself. And these are important details that we can quickly move past, but they're important for us to consider because typically speaking, when Jesus goes to the mountain in scripture, it's to be alone. It's to rest and to be with the father and to pray. And yet... In this scenario, Jesus takes people with him to the mountain. He takes them up the mountain. And here in verse three, it says that his disciples were with him and that they sat down with Jesus. The only reason a first century Jewish rabbi would be sitting down with his disciples or apprentices would be because he wants to teach them something. He wants them to assume the posture that you guys have so graciously assumed here tonight. You're sitting down and you're receiving and you're engaged, hopefully, and you're ready to receive something from God. And this is a setup. 
It's a setup for a lesson that Jesus wants them and consequently us to learn. Are you with me tonight? Secondly, I want to ask the question, why is Jesus there? Why here? Why this mountain in the Golan Heights? Why in this place? Well, we know from the previous five chapters that word about Jesus is starting to spread all throughout Galilee, all throughout Cana, even throughout Jerusalem and Judea. And we know in Samaria, where Jesus has already spent time, he's already gone there. So Jesus' reputation is starting to precede him. Word about who he is and what he's done is starting to get out. There were many that saw him turn the water into wine. And then there was many that saw him cleanse the temple. And there was many that saw him heal the sick. And so Jesus is becoming a popular figure. In other words, Jesus now has a reputation. And because of it, the text says not a few people, but a large crowd here in verse 5 were coming toward him. A large gathering of people. Now, the text notes that there's 5,000 men, but back then they wouldn't have counted all of the women and children in that number. Some scholars say that there's upward of 10,000, maybe even more than that for those that had bigger families. So we're talking anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 people. How many of you guys know that if 10,000 or 15,000 people showed up here tonight, we'd be in trouble, right? Wouldn't have enough seats for all of them. And so they're, they're flocking to Jesus and they're coming with their children and with their wives. And so there's tons and tons and tons of expectation around what Jesus is going to do in this moment. The stakes are high. And Jesus, being a good rabbi, seizes the opportunity, he seizes the moment to teach his disciples something about God. And so he asked Philip this question, where are we going to buy bread to feed and meet the needs of all these people, Philip? It's why, uh, before I get ahead of myself, it's it's Jesus' desire and attempt to begin to recalibrate Philip's heart, to retarget it and refocus it towards something specific and important. Toward physical hunger. Wait a minute, Jesus, you mean to tell me that you're concerned about physical hunger? You're concerned about physical need? You're concerned about the sick and the poor and those that don't have? You're you're concerned about all those things, Jesus? That matters to you? Yep. Oh, it matters a whole lot to him. Listen to what Jesus would later say in Matthew chapter 25, verses 41 through 43, telling a parable. It says this, then the king will turn to those, verse 41, then the king will turn, next slide, Liam, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Time out. There are many today that preach that hell is not a place. Jesus seems to think there is a place. And not only is it a place, but it was a place with a purpose. A place intended for who? Lost souls? Nope. The animals? Nope. Who's it prepared for? For the devil and his demons. That's the purpose of hell. And he says to him in verse 42, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me and I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink, verse 43, and I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home, and I was naked, and you didn't give me any clothing, and I was sick, and I was in prison, and you didn't visit me. 
What's Jesus saying here? What's he stressing? He's stressing that God seems to care a whole lot about the way that we're going to meet physical and spiritual needs. He seems to care a whole lot. It's a, it's a big deal to him. And it should be a big deal to us. So what does Philip do in this moment in relation to Jesus' question, where are we going to buy bread so that people can eat? I love Philip's response here in verse 7. Philip answered him, verse 7, next slide. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even just a little bit, Jesus. Just a little. Now, a denarii in this day and age was a day's wages. So for those of you that work an hourly job, just, just consider a denarii being what you would receive at the end of your shift. So Philip's suggesting that 200 days, eight months worth of wages would not even be enough to handle the problem with the poor. It wouldn't be enough to handle the problem with the needy. It wouldn't be enough to feed all the hungry. It wouldn't be enough to address all of the physical need here in this situation. Philip's looking at the limitation. Philip's looking at the lack. Philip's looking at the obstacle. Philip's looking at the problem. He's focusing on what he doesn't think God can do. But what does Jesus do? Jesus is wanting to elevate Philip's perception of who God is. Now, before we beat up on Philip, don't we do that? Don't we make excuses for what we think God can and cannot do in our lives? God, don't you know I don't have enough education? God, don't you know I, I don't have enough resources? God, don't you know that I, I don't even have enough resources if I wanted to go back and finish my education? God, don't you know I don't have enough gifts or enough charisma or enough employees for my business? God, don't you know I don't have? Fill in the blank. It's exactly what we do. But what are we doing when we come to God with that? We're focusing on the limitation where there isn't just enough. We're focusing on our own lack and we're looking at it with natural eyes. But I'm here to tell you guys today, I'm here to tell you that God is calling this church, courageous church, to be a people of faith, a people that not focus on limitation or lack, but, what our, but on what our God can do, on what is possible with God. Because, number one today, faith always sees what is possible with God. I wonder what limitation God might be wanting to elevate your sight beyond today. I wonder what limitation you may have placed on God even. I wonder if he might be calling you to become the kind of person that sees possibility where others only see lack and want. Verse six, Jesus said this to Philip to test him. For he himself knew what he, meaning Jesus, was going to do. You see, the testing of our faith is, is never done for God's sake. God already knows. You know whose sake it's for? It's for ours. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And he knew where Philip was probably going to get stuck. But Philip 
needed to know where Philip was stuck. Philip needed to come face to face with his own heart, with his own lack of belief. He had to confront what he really believed about this Messiah that he's been following now for days and months. He had to come to terms with it in a really powerful and real way. Which leads me to the second point I want to make, which is that number two, we never know what we truly believe until we are tested. There is going to be a test that comes the moment you say yes to Jesus. And then there's going to come a test after that. And then after that. And then after that, this is why God uses trials. This is why God uses testing. This is why God uses suffering. I didn't say that he caused it, but you better believe he'll use it. He'll use it to grow us in our faith. So when you find yourself being tested by God, know this, have this anchored in your soul, church. It's for your good. It's for your good. You know why it's for your good? Because he wants you to grow up. He wants us to grow up. And he wants us to grow up because he loves us. And he doesn't want to see us stuck where we were 10 years ago. 10 weeks ago. 10 minutes ago. You know, deep into this last 18 months, when the pandemic hit and everything was shutting down, that was a real easy time for many of us to get stuck. I mean, I, I know I did. I think emotionally, it was, it was challenging. I think you would all agree, right? The last 18 months have been emotionally challenging. Uh, regardless of what you, where you stand politically, regardless of where you stand uh, medically, this has been a challenging year. And I found myself feeling stuck. God, I just, I don't know how to move forward, but I don't want to move backwards. And I'm just kind of in limbo. Anybody ever felt like that before? Maybe some of you are there right now. Can I tell you something? When you feel stuck, when you feel in limbo, when you, when you start to feel this, the sense that what you're going through is challenging, know this, it's for your good. God wants to grow us, church. And if it was always easy, we wouldn't grow. I've been doing these two-a-day workouts. One of them has to be outdoors for 45 minutes. The other one has to be 45 minutes indoors. I got to tell you, it's challenging. Mentally and emotionally and physically, it's been challenging. But you know what? It's been for my good. I've actually lost 52 pounds in 70 days. So yeah, I feel great. But can I tell you something? That is exactly what happens to many of us sometimes. We just get stuck and God's like, come on. I want to grow you. I want to strengthen your faith. I want to I build you up. I want you to mature. And we're like, God, no, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It, it might. But guess what? You'll survive. You'll be okay. Why? Because he loves you. Yeah. I do this with my kids. My son, Liam, is helping out on ProPresenter tonight. I'll use him as an example because when you're a PK, you get called on a lot. But he just finished his football season. He's playing tackle football, Mighty Might Division, Hillcrest. You know, he's had a lot of fun and uh, did great. You know, they, they had an awesome season. But there were, um, there were days after practice where I could tell he was tired. And days where he didn't want to go to practice because he knew it was going to be hard. He's going to have to run. <laughs> it was going to be challenging. And you know what? As his father, I could have said, oh, son, why don't you just take this one off? Why don't you just stay home? You know what? Don't even worry about it. 
but that's not the kind of dad I am. I said, you know what, son? It is going to be challenging. And there are going to be times and moments where we feel challenged, but you know what? We got to do it anyways, because that's what we committed to. And, we, and you gave your word and, and you have a team of people around you that need you. And he's like, all right, all right. And then after practice, I said, so how'd it go? And he's like, it was good. I said, you survive? You still alive? He's like, yeah. I said, see, you got this. And I feel like some of you, the Lord wants to say to you, my child, you got this. I didn't send the test to break you. I sent the test to to grow you, to build your faith, to build you up. Why? Because it's always for our good. You see, the goal of the test isn't merely to see if you'll pass or fail. Sometimes you're going to pass it. Sometimes you're going to fail it, but that's actually missing the point. The goal of the test is to reveal to you where you still need to mature and grow in Christ-likeness. You see, that's God's goal for our life, to become more and more like Jesus. The Bible says that we're being actively conformed into the image of the Son of God. People say, well, what's my purpose? To become like Christ. Doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a dentist, a a construction worker, a stay-at-home mom, a lawyer. What's your purpose? To become like Jesus to become like your rabbi, to follow in his footsteps. Are you tracking with me? Remember, what is Jesus trying to do here with Philip and all of his disciples? He's he's trying to make disciples, he's trying to train them and teach them up in his way of doing life, not the world's way. All of us are born into a world where what comes natural to us is this word, mine. (laughs) Anybody ever have toddlers? What's like one of the first words they learn how to say? Mine. That's mine. <laughs> you don't believe in original sin or, or the fall or, or human depravity. Just go spend time with an with a eight-month or 16-month-year-old. Mine. You take something from them. Mine. That's mine. And we laugh. But we're not supposed to be like that at 20 and 30 and 40 and 60 and 70 years old. We're supposed to be like Jesus. This is why Jesus is doing what he's doing. This is why he's saying what he's saying. This is why he's revealing to Philip what's in his own heart. The point of this story is not for us to come together and marvel over the fact that Jesus fed over 10,000 people with two fishes and five loaves. It's amazing, but it's missing the point. The point of the story is to teach us how to take on Jesus's way of doing life so that we can become like him. He wants us to learn how to live as people of faith in the midst of a world full of need and want and to do so despite our limitations, despite our setbacks. In other words, he wants you to know and remember who your God is. This is precisely why the author, John, The writer of this gospel provides us with a very, very, very easy to miss but important detail in verse four. Here's what it says, verse four. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Everybody familiar with what the Passover is? Passover was a feast that the Jewish people would come together once a year to celebrate when God took the people of Israel out of Egypt and began to bring them into their land of promise, into Canaan. And I like what N.T. Wright's commentary says about this verse. I want to read it to you. He says this, So when John draws our attention to the fact 
that this extraordinary feeding of the crowds took place at Passover, he is clearly hoping that we will connect it in our minds as the reader, both with Passover itself, the time when God liberated the children of Israel from Egypt and led them through the wilderness to their promised land. You see, John, the writer of the gospel, is reflecting on what Jesus is doing here, and he's leading us down a major trail of breadcrumbs, pun intended. So what are they? What are the, these breadcrumbs? What are the clues? What are, what are the things that he wants us to know and remember here? He wants us to know and remember that our God is the God who provides. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who provides on the mountain, the one who can step in at any moment and liberate a people who are in slavery and bondage for thousands of years. He's trying to draw our attention backwards so that he could take us forwards. This is our Christ. This is our Messiah. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the same God working the signs, working the miracles, healing the sick, turning water into wine, cleansing the temple, doing all these things to point people to who their covenant creator God really is. And he's doing it in the flesh and he's using a boy and a happy meal. A boy and his happy meal. That's right, just two fishes and five barley loaves. Now, what's interesting about the text inclusion of the word barley is that barley loaves are poor people food. Barley loaves is like the poorest bread you can buy. Like if you can't even afford a single denarii, a day's wage, barley loaves are beneath that. Now, if you want to get some, some good bread, you go to Honeysuckle Coffee Company, you get some of that sourdough. You know what I'm saying? That's some good bread. But this ain't that, friends. This ain't that nice rye or that sourdough or that wheat, right? Killer Dan's. That's not what this is. This is barless is poor people food. This is, this is the lowest of the low. And this is exactly where Jesus wants to do a miracle with a boy and his happy meal. And you know what I love about this? This means that if he did it then, he can still do it now. If he did it then, he can do it now. You see, some of you guys have gone through some real pain and some real testing and some real challenges this year. And you feel like you failed. And because you feel like you failed then, you feel currently disqualified now. You feel like, I, I don't know. I, God, I don't think you can use me. But can I encourage you today? God is not just the God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or think, even when we pass the test. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, immeasurably more than all we can ask, think, or imagine, even when we fail it. You know why? Because he's not just the God who is able, he is the God who is willing. He is able and willing to use whatever you'll bring to him. This little boy gave him all he had, poor people food, the least of the least, the smallest of the small, insignificant, not even a big deal, not even enough to feed everybody. And yet it was exactly what Jesus wanted from him. It was exactly what he was willing to take and receive and bless and multiply so that he could do a mighty miracle in their midst. You see, church, the God who parts the seas, who raises the dead, who feeds the multitudes is both able and willing to do this in your life and in mine. Isn't that what the text says? Put it up there, Liam, Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works where? In us, 
in you, in me. That's where he's going to do it, through your Happy Meal faith, through your ability to take what he's put in your hands and to offer it to Jesus. You see, the question isn't if God can do it. God can do it. He can do a miracle. We believe that? The real question is, how does God want to do it? Through you. Through the power that wants to work within us. Church, that's how God's going to meet the physical and spiritual needs of this city. Through Courageous Church, though we may be small, I believe God doesn't need extravagance from us. He doesn't need us to 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 build something big into the sky, something that is attractive with lights and shiny medallions and stuff. He doesn't need all of the the pomp and circumstance that we feel like he needs from us. Oh God, would you hear me pray? I'm so loud. Look how many words I use. I come on Tuesdays every week. Jesus says, nah, your God hears you when you pray. Go in your secret place and pray. And don't be like the the Pharisees and the pagans that feel like they have to use lots of words. Just be, just offer what you have. Speak from the heart. Happy meal faith. God is going to meet the needs of people all around us. And he's going to use this church, I believe, and I prophetically declare it tonight, to forever impact Salt Lake City the Mountain West, and beyond. He's going to do that through you, through your faith. He's going to do it through mine. Because, and number three today, whatever is given in faith is always blessed and multiplied by God so that, so that it can be shared with others. Can I say it one more time for those in the back? Whatever is given in faith is always blessed and multiplied by God so that it can be shared with other people. Listen to verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, go gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered it up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that were left by those who eaten. Jesus does such an extraordinary miracle with such little that there's actually leftovers. There's actually overflow. There's abundance So much so that Jesus says, why don't you guys go gather that that up too so that not a single ounce will be wasted. I love that. You see, Jesus takes what's offered to him by this little boy in faith. I mean, the boy could have refused, couldn't he? Right? He He could have refused when the disciples came knocking. Hey, Jesus has need of your your meal. He could have been like, hey, listen, guys, appreciate the offer. Appreciate the invitation, but... This is going to feed my family. And then I don't know when I'm going to eat again. Like, this is it. Like, Jesus, I don't have enough. I don't know what I'm going to do here. You know? But what does the boy do? He willingly gives it to the disciples and thus Jesus. And that takes an act of faith, doesn't it? I believe it does. Because it's always easier to give God excuses as to why we're not ready to give or to hold on to what we think we need. When in reality, Jesus is always calling us to trust him in faith. Now we're going to get down to the brass tacks. I know why some of you don't give and or tithe. 
I know why. Because you're afraid you're not going to have enough left over if you do. You look at your bills, you look at your debt, you look at your situation and you go, I don't know, God, I don't think I can afford to tithe. Can I let you in a little secret from somebody who's learned this the hard way? I've been in debt up to my eyeballs. I know what it's like to be $30,000 in debt and to have to climb my way out of that. I do. I know what it's like to not have enough or to feel like the bills are, are piling on. I know what it's like to have medical bills from hospital visits with my wife and our kids. I understand that, I do. But you know what? Each and every one of us can make an excuse. Each and every one of us can cling to what we think we need, where we think we won't have enough. But can I tell you something? You can never outgive God. I said to Candace, I said, we're going to give our way out of this situation. And that's exactly what we did. And I'll tell you this, many of you, if you'll trust him, if you'll trust Jesus with your happy meal, and you'll say, it's, it's all I got. I don't know if I'll have enough, but it's all I got, but you can have it, Lord. I believe that the Lord will do a mighty miracle in your life. Amen. Guys, I've seen it firsthand. Like, I, like some of you are like, is the Bible is the Bible serious about like miracles and stuff? Can I, can I tell you, I have experienced this. I've experienced random strangers sending me checks in the mail that I was like, I don't even know where we got this from. For thousands of dollars. Not to the church, to me personally and to Candace personally. Where'd this come from? I walk out, there's nothing in the mailbox. I open it up, there's an envelope with a check in it. Some of you guys need to test the Lord. Malachi 3 says, actually, test me in this and see if I won't open up the heavens over your, over your finances. You see, some of us, we, we approach God this way where, where we're holding on and we've got excuses. And some of them are good. Some of them are good reasons, guys. I'm, I'm with you. But there's no good reason that should hold us back from giving what God has given us. When the master comes calling, when Jesus comes calling and says, hey, I want what's in your hand. I want what's in your hand. I want to take your barley. Yeah, I know. It's poor people food. I get it. But I want to do something extraordinary with it. Maybe for some of you, you've written off God ever using what's in your hands because you think it's too small or insignificant. And today, I believe God wants to challenge you to see that he can use whatever you offer him in faith. Whatever you offer, no matter what size it is, maybe some of you have the ability to create or to knit or to maybe you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you know how to build things. Maybe some of you are great administrators and you know how to administrate things. Can I encourage you? Don't overlook what you possess. Don't overlook the time and the talent and the treasure that God has given you. Don't overlook that. Don't think that it's insignificant. Offer what you have in faith because once again, whatever is given in faith is always blessed and always multiplied by God so that it can be shared with others. This is exactly what Jesus does. This is his formula to change lives. Given, blessed, multiplied, shared. Given, blessed, multiplied, shared. Repeat. Given, blessed, multiplied, shared. First, you got to give. What does Jesus do? He commands a blessing. He thanks the Father for it. 
He gives thanks. What we see in this, this, uh, this movement by Jesus to give thanks is the echoes of what we see in the Last Supper. He lifts up the bread. What does he do? He breaks it and he blesses it so that it can be what? Shared. Given, blessed, multiplied, shared. Given, blessed, multiplied, shared. That's the formula. And that's what God wants to do through you. And that's what God wants to do through me. If we'll let him. If we'll yield to the process. So how are we going to reach and serve Salt Lake City Church? How are we going to do it when there's so much need? There's so much homelessness. And so many people on drugs. And so many people caught up in an orientation and identity that isn't in Christ. How are we going to do it? I'll tell you how we're going to do it. Next slide, Liam. Through your faith and your obedience and your willingness to give your whole life to his cause. Jesus could have told the boy, all I need is one fish. All I need is one loaf. He took it all. You know why? I think it was a test of his faith. The master has need of your meal. Well, I'll give him a little bit. Some of us, that's where we are. And it's okay. The Lord still loves us. But he wants to grow us. We're making excuses why we're not going all in with Jesus. We got a little foot in. We're like, okay, I'll, I'll give you one fish, Jesus. I know you can still do a miracle with that. He can. But you know what he wants? He wants all of you. He wants all of me. He wants all of this church. The invitation for us as people is to waste it all on Christ, to pour it out on Christ, to give it all for Christ. When Candace and I moved to Utah to plant this church, we said, we are going all in. We're going to leave it all on the line. We're going to put all of our finances. We're going to put all of our hopes. We're going to put all of our dreams in. We're not going to hold anything back. You know why? Because the lamb of God is worthy. And my prayer for some of you that don't have that conviction yet is that you would come to know that the Lamb of God is worthy, that he is worthy of your whole life. He is worthy of your faith and your obedience and your willingness to go all in and give your whole life to his cause, to waste it all. Church, may we not be a people that at the end of our life look back and go, well, we did some fun stuff. We had a lot of fun, took a lot of vacations, drank a lot of tequila, had a great time, partied it up, saved a bunch of money, had our 401k, retired into the, the hills of Park City and just... May that not be our story, church. May we be a people, a courageous people that are willing to lay it all on the line for Christ. And I know I'm talking to some courageous people tonight. I know I'm talking to some of you who have left family and friends and brother and mother and sister for Christ's sake. And Jesus says, you're blessed. You're blessed and you're blessed and you're blessed and you're blessed. Some of you that are homesick who aren't from Utah, can I just tell you something? You're blessed. What you're doing here matters. Your investment in this place matters. Your prayers and your hopes and your dreams and your giving and your faithfulness and your willingness and your obedience, it matters. It matters to God and it matters to us. And this church wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. For those of you that give, I wanna say thank you. 
Thank you for your partnership in helping us advance the mission of reaching this city for the kingdom of God and with the glory and gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not done yet. We've got so much work to do. And if you think that the goal of this church is just to build a better building and have a better worship team and have better lights and more community groups and all that stuff, you're sorely mistaken. The goal of this church is to disrupt this place with the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ to meet people that are bound and set them free, to bring sight to the blind, to raise the dead, to, to heal the sick, come on, to cast out demons, to do what Jesus called us to do. And my job each and every week isn't just to get up here and dance like a monkey on the stage. I'll dance. But my job is to equip you for the battle, for the war, for what you and I step into each and every time we get up. Monday through Saturday, where we've got people from the LGBTQ community all around us who need what we have. They don't need us to take a stone and to throw it at them. They need the love and mercy and grace of Jesus. And some of us have been trying to throw stones when what Jesus actually wants us to do is wash feet. And that's what he's calling us to, church. And what about those that are, that are addicted to opioids and that are depressed and under the weight and oppression of the enemy? Who's going to set them free? If we don't go into those situations, if we don't get godly strategies and godly ideas for how we're going to actually be leaven that spreads itself through the whole city and through this whole valley. That's why God's called us to start businesses. That's why we're going to start businesses. That's why God's calling some of you who have an entrepreneurial spirit or idea to start a business. And maybe that's not you, but you know, you can come alongside and you can help. You can grab a shovel. You can grab something to help build what, what God has put in somebody's spirit to build. Because we're here to make an impact and a difference. That's what he's calling us to, church, to get a bigger vision. To see the multitudes the way Jesus sees the multitudes. And as I was driving throughout the city, just going like, God, how are we going to do it? I just felt him say, all I need is a little faith. All I need is a little willingness. All I need is a little obedience. Could you imagine with me if the church, the less than 3% of the population evangelical church got together and was like, come on, let's turn this place upside down. So we're, so, we're so enamored and, and, and concerned with our empires and our brands and our, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the comparison trap. I'm sick of, of waking up and, and hearing people, good people leave the faith because of some leader's moral problem or issue. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of seeing the collateral damage in this valley. I'm tired of, of hearing about another church that's closing and another church planner who's leaving. I know some of them. Some of them are my friends. We sat here in this room this week, myself and Pastor Candace and about what, 20, 25 other pastors who represent 25 other churches in this valley. And, and we, we heard from them firsthand their struggles and their challenges in the, in the areas where they feel discouraged and where people haven't returned and, and you know, all of the stories, right? And, and, then, and then listening to people that were like, I'm quitting the ministry, I'm gone. Like I'm leaving this place, I can't do it anymore. My wife can't handle it anymore. My kids don't even wanna come to church anymore. Like I'm done. I'm tired of hearing that. But what's going what's to change, church? What's going to be the difference maker? Social media? Getting a slicker package? 
endorsing the right political candidate, what's going to change it? I believe Jesus is the answer. He was the answer a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, and he's still the answer today. He's the one that has life. He's the one that will set people free. He's the one that will change lives. And he wants to do it through us, through your faith and through your obedience and your willingness to give yourself to his cause. Do you believe that? Do you want that for your life? Are you ready to see God do the impossible through you? I mean, really, it's a cliche, I get it. But is that really your heart's desire? I know it's mine. And I want to invite you to open your heart to trust that God may just want to do something extraordinary through you. I believe that's the invitation for all of us tonight. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.